Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, it's great to be with you today. Last week, Britt kicked us off in our series on the life of David, David, Shepherd King. And even that title tells us something about David. Now, they're very bucolic images from the ancient world of shepherds and kings, but they may lose some of their impact on us today. This is like saying the Uber driver, prime minister, the hardware store worker, president, the fish and chip store owner, king. This shows us that was something extraordinary about David, but also David was also really ordinary and a lot like us. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said of the Jewish people that God chose them because they were just like everyone else, but even more so. And that's a bit like David, this king of the Jews in this story, who is like us, but even more so. He contains so many of our failings and ordinariness, yet he is a life that God uses. And David's life is an object lesson in how God works in our lives. We're invited into, by looking at the life of David, into a shift of perspective in how we see God, our lives, the world, and how God works. Now, one of the ways that God uses David's life to show us how he works is, is that David's life shows us how the victory is won. Now, you may not feel like you're in a battle, or maybe you do. Wherever you feel you are, all of us, wish for victories. There may be victories in our personal lives, our relationships, our community, our world. For victory is the defeat of an enemy. Victory is success in a struggle. And all of us have enemies, be they human or not, struggles where, well, however they encounter us. And victory is when those things are overcome. Now, all humans therefore desire victory. And David's life shows us how victory is won. But it shows us that victory is won in a very different way than what the world tells us. There is a different handbook, a different playbook at work in the life of David. And this is clearly shown in probably one of the most famous stories about the life of David, his battle with Goliath. At this stage, David has been anointed to be king, but this has happened in a private ceremony. Why? Because there's another king on the throne, Saul. Saul is initially filled with the spirit, yet he chooses not to follow God's way. And the mantle passes from Saul to David. David has the anointing, but Saul still has the crown and the throne. And so when we encounter David in the story of his battle with Goliath, he has been anointed, but he's still a shepherd boy. He's still out in the wilderness, involved in this task of looking after the sheep. The action is elsewhere. The action is with Saul and all the warriors of Israel who are facing off their their threat and their enemy in this day, the Philistine armies. And the Philistine armies have this champion who they have sent out to the front of the battlefield, this huge, powerful warrior called Goliath, who is not only huge in size, but is uh, given this incredible weaponry and holds this incredible advantage. 
In 1 Samuel 17 verse 8, it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Choose a man and have him come down to me. Now, this is often what would happen. The armies would meet on a battlefield. They would send out a champion. And often those two champions would fight. And that was seen as a theological answer of who the gods were backing in this battle. Verse 9 says this, If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. There had been a work of intimidation from Goliath to the people of God. Now David arrives on the battlefield not to play the role of a warrior. He's been sent by his father to inquire of his brothers who are warriors to bring them some food and find out really what's happening uh, on the battlefield. How is Israel faring against the Philistines? Now, David faces intimidation, not from uh, Goliath. He actually faces intimidation from his brothers who mock him for turning up, accusing him of being a spectator and accusing him of having a conceited heart. Two things, which are actually the complete opposite of what is going on with David. David is described as a man after God's own heart. He's a man who will see from his life. He's never a spectator. His heart is being shaped by God to play a role. So it's interesting that straight away often happens with intimidation is the enemy will intimidate you, sometimes through the voice of another, with something that is the complete opposite of what you are. But there's something different about David. He's a civilian. He's not a warrior, but he's not intimidated and dismayed by the words of his brother or by the words of Goliath. David actually volunteers and says, I can go and meet this man on the battlefield. If Saul is informed of this, David goes before Saul and tells him that he's going to go and fight. Saul tries and puts his own uniform on David. But David says, no, that's not the way that I'm going to do things. He's sure of himself because he's ultimately sure of what God is doing through him. David then goes onto the battlefield and confronts Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, it says this. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, noting the weaponry, the superior advantage that actually this incredible warrior has. But David says this, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword and spear that the Lord saves. Remember that phrase? We're going to come back to that. For the battle is the Lord's. Key, key phrase. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Now, looking at this story, the professor of management who writes heaps on strategy, Richard Rommelt, lords David's strategy, noting that the defeat of Goliath and this is his quote, teaches us that our preconceived ideas of strength and weakness may be unsound. 
Ramelton notes that David possessed what he calls a decisive asymmetry, which is a very clever way of saying he sees an advantage that others don't see. He's noting that David had uncovered this power imbalance. And he notes that this happens when someone can see what others have not or what they've ignored and therefore thereby discover a pivotal objective and create an advantage. So what Ramalti is saying is that David's marginal position, the fact that he's a shepherd boy, he's a civilian, that he's being mocked by others, that he arrives on the battlefield with a very different viewpoint means his distance from power, his distance from the way things are done, his distance of the fact that he's only just arrived and being mocked actually gives him an advantage that others don't have. David in his earthly weakness is strong. Why? David's battlefield orientation is not set with earthly eyes, but with spiritual vision. David sees the situation different to everyone else. Now, it's interesting, as David is leaving Saul after rejecting the armor and weaponry and uniform of the king, it says this in verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hands, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. This is really worth noting. This is not normally the kind of weapon that a warrior would use. This is something that a shepherd would do, far away from anyone, in those lonely and isolated places, out in the wilderness. Now, the battlefield in the ancient world was a place of glory. Now, we may not battle each other with a bunch of people getting into a field and bringing forth a champion to decide whether a country is going to defeat another country. Yet we still have similar arenas in our culture today in which we pursue glory and victory. It could be the sporting field, the business world, social media. The common thing is that all these are arenas where we try and pursue victory, defeating an enemy, gaining success over a struggle. The one thing in common is that all have an audience. Yet David's battle was actually not won on a battlefield. David had won this battle before he'd ever stood on the battlefield. Where did he win it? He won it in the wilderness. So David's life shows us where the battle is first won. And David wins the battle against Goliath by applying the lessons that God had taught him in the wilderness. So when he was before Saul, David says to him in verse 32 this, Let no one lose a heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, now this is a bit of chutzpah to reply to this king as this young guy who's a civilian. He says this, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. What is this telling us? This is telling us that great line from Stephen Covey, private victories precede public victories. People love victory, but we love the victory where there's an audience. We love the victory where others can see our success. We want the victory, but we also want the accompanying audience. Why? Because we prefer in our fallen state to receive worship rather than give it. David's battle against these wild enemies of the wilderness, of, against bears and lions and these predators to protect sheep is not a battle that is won in front of an audience. This is a private victory that happens as he is assaulted by struggles that come in the everyday nature of his ordinary life, that he must win, not in front of an audience, but in front of an audience with one. And realize he realizes this key reality that in those moments, the victory can be yours when all you've got in that wilderness moment of fragility and vulnerability is God. David learns that the victory is his, not on the battlefield, but first in the hiddenness of the wilderness. Now we see this in Jesus's ultimate victory, the decisive victory in the universe. When Jesus wins the victory against sin and death, where? On a garbage dump outside of a city. In front of a crowd, no, his disciples even have left him. Just a handful of women at this public execution that the public turned away from in shame. Darkness even falls as he dies. Jesus shows us that the victory often happens in the midst of loneliness and isolation and what feels like sometimes absolute darkness. And we are called to follow in Jesus's footsteps. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He's not saying there that we had to all do the ultimate act of sacrifice and that we could make salvation happen in our own strength. What he's saying there is that the way of the cross is what we're called to step into. For trials, often trials in the wilderness, lay the groundwork for the triumphs that come later. As a God for years, when literally David was just a nobody, but had a heart after God, God was teaching David the lessons of the wilderness so that when he was in the palace, he would know how to act. At one point, Saul, early in his kingship, is found still in the wilderness. Saul was also a man sometimes of the wilderness, yet he forgot the lessons of the wilderness and was seduced by all the furnishings of the palace and of the throne. What David's life teaches us is about the power of preparation. Because before David had ever approached Goliath, he had been prepared. He'd been trained for battle. Saul says, you're not going to beat this guy because this guy has been preparing to be a warrior and shaped and formed in the ways of military strategy and battle since he was a young boy. David hadn't. 
But David had in the same way been shaped in the wilderness by the discipline and formation and preparation of the living God in those quiet spaces in the wilderness. That's where the Psalms are written. That's where this great, incredible relationship between God and David begins. For in hiddenness, there's a kind of growth in our spiritual relationship that can only occur outside of the gaze of others, in that hidden place before the audience of one. Now, soon here in Melbourne, we're going to begin to open up. We're in the midst of a challenge at the moment um, as cases are rising. But soon, as we potentially will reach one of the highest vaccination rates in the world, things will begin to open up. Now, as a city here in Melbourne, for those of you watching in our city, we've been through a really unique and unique, whilst there's lots of places in the world have gone through a period of lockdown and shutdown, we've now gone for the longest in the world, beating Buenos Aires. This has been an unprecedented time of hiddenness, of disconnection, of pressure, of struggle. And in the midst of this, I just want to say that God has been forming us even when we haven't realized. There are things that we have learned in this wilderness time that God has been preparing for what will come in the future. At times, you may have felt like the enemies have been insurmountable. Maybe it's your sense of loneliness. Maybe it's your sense of being overwhelmed. Maybe it's just that ennui, languishing, that comes after hundreds of days of lockdown where your mind is just a fog. Maybe it's been really hard to keep connecting into digital church. Maybe you've not watched for weeks, but today you've turned on. But that whole time, just as God whispered and called out in his still small voice to David, he's been whispering and calling out to us. I really believe that when we emerge, we're going to be a different kind of church. Not because of anything we can do, but what he's been doing in us. But I just wanted to paint a slight note of warning that the story of David uh, illustrates for us as we prepare to open up. As everything returns, and I think there's going to be a sense of elation and, and yes, there's going to be a new COVID normal, but to get to do all these things that we haven't been able to do, it's going to be quite giddy after this experience we've had in Melbourne. Now, later on, we find in 1 Samuel chapter 21, Daniel is now a serious, oh, sorry, Daniel, David is a serious threat to Saul. And Saul is hunting him. Again, David is isolated. And he makes his way to a place called Nob, where he meets the priest Amalek, who's looking after the tabernacle. And David is not in a good way. This man who had a victory in the wilderness as God prepared him, who beat Goliath, we then find in this place where he's really, at this point, at his lowest. And maybe you've had the experience over the last 18 months, where there's periods where in the midst of isolation, you were doing really well, and maybe you then had a down period, ups and downs. This is where David's life shows us how God works in really ordinary ways that we can identify with. So David goes into the priest at the tabernacle at Nob and says this, verse 8, David asked Amalek, he's afraid, 
Do you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought in my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. He's lying that he's on a mission from Saul because he's afraid that people are going to find him out. Now recognize the irony here. This guy who went before the armies of Israel, before Goliath, said, I don't need a spear or a, a javelin because I've got the God of Israel on my side. What's he doing now? He's looking for a spear or a sword to protect himself, to protect himself in the vulnerability that he finds himself in. The priest replied, and honestly, this is like a movie scene. I can imagine this in my head. The priest replied, pointing to the tabernacle. The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah, is here. It's wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. And again, imagine this movie dramatic. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And again, too, in my head, it's almost like a Lord of the Rings type moment. David says, there is none like it. Give it to me. This man who went and faced this Philistine champion on the battlefield, who was holding this superior weapon, and David faced him down and said, no, I'm not going to use those earthly weapons because God is on my side. And who defeats him in this insanely unbelievable upside down way with simply just a little shepherd's slingshot. And God is vindicated at this point is literally reaching for the earthly weapon that in a previous season he didn't want anything to have to do with. And this is where David is so human, so like us. There's those moments when we may want nothing but God. And then under pressure and isolation and moments later on, we can actually find ourselves wanting for the opposite of God. This happens to everyone. This may even be happening to you at this moment at the end of a real lockdown and you're just hanging on by your fingertips. What this says to us is that lessons can be lost. Victories can become obscured in the fog of yesterday. We can return to pick up Goliath's sword. This teaches us something so key. Salvation is decisive. Jesus' work on the cross happens at this moment and we enter into the kingdom of God washed white as snow as his children, remade in his image. So salvation is decisive, yet growth is developmental. To be human is to be part of a process of growing and transforming and becoming more like Christ. And God uses the struggles of our lives, the ups and downs, to make us more like him. David's life teaches us that before we go somewhere, first We have to grow somewhere. That actually he does this preparation in us that sometimes we're not even aware of. Where he prepares us in the internal places of us for where he wants to take us. 
I believe that David's life invites us to reframe so much of what has happened to us as actually us being clay in the potter's hands. God's been shaping us. When we come back there, some of the lessons that we've learned in this season, we could easily forget and again, go and try and grab Goliath's sword and try and do it all in our own strength, to get overly busy again, to try and make life happen on our terms. There's been a gift in the midst of all the terrible things that have happened in the last season that we've learned. God has been shaping us in the wilderness and he's been shaping us for the next season. Let's not forget that the victory is the Lord's and that you've been prepared. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the life of David. We thank you for the way that it shows us how you work in our lives, that we, before we can go wide, have to go deep. I wanna thank you, Father, for the preparation that has been happening in people's lives during this unprecedented season of hiddenness, of wilderness, not even able to meet so often in the last 18 months plus, as the people of God embodied in a place, but you have been doing something in this time. You've been teaching us lessons. You've been giving us an advantage to see the world differently. You've taught us what it is to truly depend on your strength when we're at the end of our own strength. So Father, I pray that you take those lessons from the last season. You help us to apply the lessons of the wilderness in a sense when we're back in the palace of options. Help us not to pick up again the light sword. Help us to remember that victory is yours. We thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do in your name. Amen.